It's a Tuesday, and here we are the day after the Iowa caucuses, and as you can see, I'm a much happier Ben Shapiro today. We'll talk all about it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So here we are. We have ourselves a race. Donald Trump goes down to flaming defeat in Iowa, and it was a flaming defeat in Iowa. Donald Trump had, he, he dealt with it relatively well yesterday, but then he sort of had a meltdown this morning. We'll talk about it first. For those who were in a cave, here were the actual results, and here's how they differed from the polls beforehand. Before what happened in Iowa, the polls were Trump 28.6. This is the real clear politics average. Trump 28.6, Cruz 23.9, Rubio 16.9. The final results, Trump 24.3, so he, he was down 4.3% from his estimate. Cruz 27.7, which means that he was up 3.8% from his estimate. And the biggest jump of the night, belonged to Marco Rubio, who jumped 6.2%, all the way up to 23.1%, barely coming in third behind Donald Trump. It was actually very close. So what this means, of course, is that Cruz has some momentum coming out of Iowa. It means that Rubio has some serious momentum coming out of Iowa. And it means that Trump, the God bleeds. I mean, it's, he, he's not invulnerable. And we're about to see whether Donald Trump has a glass jaw in New Hampshire. Now, remember, Donald Trump currently has, according to that same Real Clear Politics average, a 22-point lead in New Hampshire. But that also relies on the fact that there are four or five candidates tied up all around 11, 12%. That would be Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, Chris Christie, John Kasich. A lot of people who are hanging around right there. And because there are so many people who are hanging around in that position, they've sort of been dragging each other down. Well, now that Rubio and Cruz are emerging as frontrunners, or at least people capable of emerging, you could see a fade in support for Donald Trump and a rise for either one of those two. In all likelihood, the conventional wisdom says that Rubio will be the one who benefits most in New Hampshire. Iowa is more of a cruise crowd. It's very evangelical in nature. New Hampshire is a much more secular crowd, much more northeastern crowd, probably more friendly to Marco Rubio's style of politics is sort of the conventional wisdom. So we'll talk in a minute about sort of how this race is going to play out, what the forecast looks like. And we'll also talk about what's happening on the Democratic side of the aisle where Hillary and Bernie were locked in a death struggle. They were beating each other with their walkers late last night and, uh, and gripping each other by the throat with their feeble grips. Basically, their entire primary came down to, I think it was less than 100 votes. I mean, it was, it was something ridiculous. Uh, and that was, I think it came out of, it was like five precincts or something. So it was something insane. Uh, and, uh, and it ended up being d delivered to Hillary Clinton via coin toss. Basically, she won by, I think, five precincts. And six precincts were decided by coin toss. All six went for Hillary Clinton. Not to say some cor something corrupt happened. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but six coins all coming up in favor of Hillary Clinton. There is about a 1.5% chance of that happening. If I were to flip a coin six times, the chance it comes up heads six times in a row, 1.5%. Somehow it came up heads for Hillary. It's always coming up roses for Hillary. So we will get to what that means for Hillary. And I think that she is about five seconds away from sticking her head into an oven. I mean, I think she's, she really is, is having it rough. And, uh, and if Bernie Sanders made one move, he would take the nomination away from her. Hillary Clinton is a cartoon character trying to grip a wet bar of soap. The harder she squeezes the soap, the less likely she is to actually attain the object of her desire. Okay, so we'll start with Ted Cruz, who after his big win, and it was because he had great turnout on the ground, he won with, won with every group except for the people who are highly educated and the people who are barely educated. Barely educated people went Trump. Highly edu educated people went Rubio. Everybody else, women, med, evangelicals, not evangelicals, went for Cruz in Iowa. So he had some broad appeal. 
So Ted Cruz, after he wins, he goes out to give his victory speech. And, you know, I want to give him his due for winning. It's a, it's a major thing, and it's going to have major implications for how these primaries play out. And I say that, that Cruz is the temporary frontrunner, assuming that, that Trump stays in the race. If Trump falls apart, Rubio becomes the frontrunner pretty quickly. So I want to give Ted Cruz all the credit in the world. He did what people didn't think he could do. He, he Number one, he won Iowa while saying he would not support the boondoggle that is ethanol, which is an amazing thing. I mean, he told a bunch of farmers, I'm not going to give you money from the government for your farming. And then he proceeded to win the state. And two, he took down Trump. He punched Trump and Trump went down. And that, that's a big deal. And people are sort of making light of it this morning, like, oh, we all should have seen the, the collapse coming. Nobody saw the collapse coming, okay? Trump still has a 20-point lead in New Hampshire. He still has a 16-point lead in South Carolina. He has a lead everywhere. So the idea that this was not a great accomplishment by Cruz is insane, especially in light of the fact that Trump had been viciously beating Cruz in the press for several weeks leading up to this, this caucus, calling Cruz a liar, calling him ineligible for the presidency, suggesting that he was corrupt and enthralled to Wall Street. And Cruz somehow made it through all of that and handed Trump his first defeat. He, he put the giant on the ground. That's, that's a pretty major accomplishment. So I want to give him credit. Then he gave his speech. And this is everything that is great about Ted Cruz and everything that is bad about Ted Cruz, you have to take it as a package. I mean, Ted Cruz, what, what makes Ted Cruz great is that Ted Cruz does not compromise on his beliefs or on his principles. Ted Cruz believes what he believes, and he is that person. He may manipulate in service of those principles. That's the accusation about the government shutdown, for example. But there's no question that he is an ideologue. It also means that he doesn't, unfortunately, have real grasp of optics. So after you win Iowa, after you win Iowa, this is your big moment, right? This is your moment on the national stage, your moment to prove to everyone in the United States that not only do you belong as the Iowa winner, but that you are a viable presidential candidate for the long haul, that you can unify Americans. The best person I've ever seen do this, actually, was the person who I probably dislike most in American politics, Barack Obama. President Obama, back when he was Senator Obama in 2008, after he won, I remember watching this on TV, he went up and he had the human backdrop behind him, right? He had all sorts of people who were standing behind him. And he, he proceeded to do a speech from a teleprompter. And people mocked him at the time. Oh, look at him doing a speech from a teleprompter. He just won. How would he even know to do it from a teleprompter? And the, and the answer was he did it because he's smart. He did it because he knew that everybody was watching on television. Cruz spoke yesterday, and what he said was fine. In many cases, it was wonderful. He spoke for 40 minutes yesterday after winning. You can't do that. It's a soundbite culture. He should have gone for 10 minutes. He should have said something inspirational. He should have said, our fight has only begun. Now we're moving on. Instead, he proceeded to serve and thank the people who were in the room and the people who'd given him the victory, which is justifiable on a personal level, but on a national political level, it's problematic. Here is Cruz in his victory speech. Let me first of all say, to God be the glory. <laughs> Tonight, is a victory for the grassroots. Tonight is a victory for courageous conservatives across Iowa and all across this great nation. Tonight, the state of Iowa has spoken. Iowa has sent notice that the Republican nominee and the next president of the United States 
will not be chosen by the media. will not be chosen by the Washington establishment. Will not be chosen by the lobbyists. But will be chosen by the most incredible, powerful force where all sovereignty resides in our nation by we, the people, the American people. Okay, so that's actually fine stuff. I mean, what Cruz is saying there is good when he says he's rejecting the media, he's rejecting the establishment. All of that is great. He then proceeded to go for another 38 minutes and 30 seconds. And that, that was the problem. And again, the optics here are just not great. I mean, he looks like he's in a crowded hall. The shadows are on him, right? I mean, it's actually hard to see him in parts. People can't watch this. He's, behind him is Steve King on one side. His wife Heidi is on one side of him. He's not surrounded by the, the human backdrop that, that Obama was. It's not great optically. It's fine in terms of what he's saying. And that's, that's Cruz in a nutshell. Not great on optics, great on content, right? His content is wonderful. His optics are not so wonderful. Okay, so not a huge deal, mainly just a, a bit of a lost opportunity. Marco Rubio came in third. He had a big night. The media have decided that Rubio's big win is, is a bigger win than Cruz's big win, which is insane to me. Like, Rubio was supposed to be here. Okay, Rubio was an establishment favorite. Now, I will say this. And I think conservatives should be overjoyed, overjoyed today. They should be overjoyed today and presumably for the rest of the cycle. If your choice as a conservative is between Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, you have to be thrilled. You have to be thrilled. By any objective measure, the two, at least two of the three most conservative people in this race are Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, and the only other person there would be Rand Paul, right? Rand Paul, but he's an isolationist, so I don't really consider him conservative on foreign policy. But Cruz and Rubio are probably the top two conservatives in the field. If Rubio had not embraced the Gang of Eight amnesty bill, then he and, and Cruz would be neck and neck. I mean, they would be just as conservative. They, would, they both have incredible ratings from the American Conservative Union. They both have 0% ratings from Planned Parenthood. They're both pro-life. They're both hawkish on foreign policy. They're both great on tax policy. They're both heavily conservative on social policy. These are, if you, after 2012, those of us who are grassroots conservatives and were very frustrated, very frustrated that the person picked by the establishment was the only guy in America who had designed Obamacare before Obamacare, Mitt Romney. Those of us who said we need a conservative, a real conservative, people like me who have spent several weeks railing against Donald Trump for not being conservative. I am thrilled today that Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio are basically the two front runners, that those are the choices. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing because the idea that Rubio is an establishment guy. I mean, Rubio, remember, he was opposed by the establishment in 2010. He ran against Charlie Crist, the governor of Florida. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who has political regrets. Jeb Bush spent, I think, $2,800 per vote in the state of Iowa. He finished with 3% in the state of Iowa. But if you go back far enough, you really want to talk about regrets. In 2010, when Marco Rubio ran and won the Senate seat over Charlie Crist, you know who was originally supposed to run for that seat and take it? Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush decided he didn't want to do that. He preferred to sit home. And so Marco Rubio has now schlonged him, as Donald Trump might put it. So in any case, Jeb Bush fails. Donald Trump fails. Conservatives have to be very happy today. But the point is this. Rubio was a Tea Party guy. 
Cruz, Tea Party guy, defeated an establishment guy named David Dewhurst, who was the lieutenant governor of Texas. So you have two Tea Party guys, one of whom is being identified as the establishment guy because at one point he supported the Gang of Eight bill. Now, do I trust Marco Rubio on immigration? No, I don't, because he flipped on me once. So the idea that he wouldn't flip again is bizarre to me. The one thing about Rubio that I think is interesting in terms of the Cruz-Rubio dynamic, Cruz is the strong guy who has the off-putting personality, and Rubio is the weak guy with the winning personality. I think the question for Rubio is going to be whether he is a, a weak conservative playing a strong conservative, or whether he's a strong conservative who, or, or a strong, really a strong person who has weak convictions. Right? Is he, is he a, a weak person with strong convictions or a strong person with weak convictions? And there's a, there's a difference between the two. If you're a weak person with strong convictions, that means that even if Rubio deeply believes in comprehensive immigration reform and he becomes president, we can push him off the point, which we did with the Gang of Eight. If he is a strong person with weak convictions, then he might just run roughshod over everybody the way that George W. Bush tried to do in 2004 after he won re-election pushing comprehensive immigration reform. So this is not me being sanguine about Marco Rubio and immigration reform, but it is to say that if you are a conservative right now, this choice has to be great for you. Now, I do want to contrast the persona. So you've got Cruz, who's optically not particularly strong, but really, really on message. And then you've got Marco Rubio. So here's Marco Rubio trotting out after finishing third in Iowa. Again, he's still, at least Rubio has the the presence of mind to, to get his entire family with the kitties up there behind him, right? He's got the kitties to one side. He still should have done the, the Obama thing uh, and put up a, a huge raft of people behind him. And as you'll see when we get to the Democrats, the Democrats actually did this because they understand optics and Republicans are stupid. But, but Rubio is standing there. At least he's, he's behind a podium. He doesn't have a handheld mic. Cruz had a handheld mic. Rubio doesn't. And it's, it's a better look. You'll see. Here's Marco Rubio's speech. So, so this is the moment they said would never happen. For months, for months, they told us we had no chance. <clears throat> for months, they told us because we offered too much optimism in a time of anger, we had no chance. For months, they told us because we didn't have the right endorsements or the right political connections, we had no chance. They told me that we have no chance because my hair wasn't gray enough and my boots were too high. <laughs> they told me I needed to wait my turn that I needed to wait in line. You can't hear that some lady shots. It is your turn. But tonight, tonight here in Iowa, the people of this great state have sent a very clear message. After seven years of Barack Obama, we are not waiting any longer to take our country back. This is not a time for waiting. For everything that makes this nation great now hangs in the balance. This is a time where we need a president that will truly preserve and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, not one that undermines, attacks, and ignores the Constitution of the United States. Okay, this is a better speech. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no, no two ways about it. What Rubio is doing, Cruz is clear, but Rubio is doing the visionary thing, right? So you have Cruz, and he says... He's attacking directly the media and the establishment and the lobbyists. Rubio doesn't bother defining his enemies, notice. I mean, this is clever politics. What Rubio does is they said we could never do this. Who's they? Was there anybody who said Rubio could never win 
or finish third. In, they said we could never finish third in Iowa. Really? Is that who's this? Who's this amorphous they out there who said Rubio could never finish third? In, by, by the way, the polls had him finishing third in Iowa, right? I mean, he, he gained in the polls, but he still finished third in Iowa. Who's this they? You don't know, but you know that they are out to get you. And then he swivels his attack, not inside the Republican Party, but directly to President Obama. Right? He immediately says. I am the, the counterweight to President Obama. He's elevating himself above the other Republicans, and he's already putting himself in a weight class with Obama and Hillary Clinton, which is very, look, it's smart politics. It's smart. So this is why Rubio is being given a lot of credit. Now, again, the hard work on the ground was Cruz. The, the guy who did the, the major grunt work here was the guy who took down Donald Trump. And if Rubio ends up as the nominee, he should actually be thanking Ted Cruz because the fact is that Rubio was not going to take down Ted, was not going to take down Donald Trump in Iowa. If Ted Cruz is not in the race, most of those votes probably were down to Donald Trump, or at least a heavy percentage of those votes probably splits half and half at best for Marco Rubio, because Cruz is seen as anti-establishment. Rubio is seen as establishment, again, because of immigration reform. But one thing is clear. We now have a race on our hands, and I'm going to get into the dynamics of that race and how this looks in just a second. First, we have to have a, a word from the, the night's big loser, of course, Donald Trump, who's been campaigning for literally months. I mean, he was on top of every poll. And then for literally months, Donald Trump was saying that he wins. That's all he does. All I do is win. All I do is win. I win and I win and I win. That's all Donald Trump does. Well, last night he lost. And he was making second place great again. And here is, and here is Donald Trump. Actually, this is the best I've ever seen Donald Trump, honestly. Like, a little humility goes a long way. If he could actually do this, it would be great. But he can't, as we'll talk about in a second. So here's Donald Trump and doing his routine after, after losing in Iowa. I have to start by saying I absolutely love the people of Iowa. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So on June 16th, when we started this journey, there were 17 candidates. I was told by everybody, do not go to Iowa. You could never finish even in the top 10. And I said, but I have friends in Iowa. I know a lot of people in Iowa. I think they'll really like me. Let's give it a shot. They said, don't do it. I said, I have to do it. And we finished second. And I want to tell you something. I'm just honored. I'm really honored. And I want to congratulate Ted. And I want to congratulate all of the incredible candidates, including Mike Huckabee, who's become a really good friend of mine. So congratulations to everybody. Congratulations. Okay, so there we are. And Donald Trump, you know, that's the best he's ever looked. A little bit of humility goes a long way. If the man had any self-control, he would be the nominee, is the truth. He has no self-control. And that was proved this morning on Twitter. So Trump still has a massive lead in New Hampshire. Again, he has a 21.5% lead by the latest Real Clear polling, Real Clear Politics poll averaging in New Hampshire. Right now, just point of fact, here are what the poll averages say in New Hampshire. And, of course, these polls are too early because we don't know yet how Iowa impacts New Hampshire. There will be some poll movement for sure. Trump will go down. You'll see a bump for Rubio. You'll see a bump for Cruz. Right now, at current, here's what the poll average says. Trump 33.7, Cruz 11.5, Kasich 11.3, Bush 10.5, Rubio 10.2, Christie 5.8. Right. So, actually, the, the most recent poll from UMass Lowell has Trump up 38 to 14 over his nearest competitor. So Trump is still the front runner in terms of these polls. If you just take polls into account, Trump is still the front runner. And people are rightly taking these polls with a grain of salt because polling data only lasts so long as nobody gets hit in the nose and Trump just got hit 
in the nose. But if Trump plays it smart, right, if Trump says, you know, we did as well as we could in Iowa, we really didn't have much of a ground game, but we've put all of our resources into New Hampshire. I look forward to a massive victory there and taking this show on the road. I've shown that evangelicals like me. I've shown that I can win with different crowds that, that traditionally haven't been my forte. That would be the way to play this. And so he starts doing that last night. And then this morning, Donald Trump, because he has no self-control, here's what Donald Trump did on Twitter. Okay, this all happened over the He went silent on Twitter for, for 13 hours to the point where there were a lot of people who were actually keeping track of how long he was off Twitter. There was actually a clock that got posted on Politico to, to keep track of how long he was on, how long he was, he was off of, he was off of Twitter. So here is what Donald Trump, here is what Donald Trump did this morning. What Donald Trump did this morning, he said, quote, my experience in Iowa was a great one. This is about eight o'clock this morning, Pacific time. My experience in Iowa was a great one. I started out with all of the experts saying I couldn't do well there and ended up in second place. Nice. Because I was told I could not do well in Iowa, I spent very little there. A fraction of Cruz and Rubio came in a strong second. Great honor. Right? Okay, so he's doing my strategy. He's saying, okay, you know, I did as well as I could. It wasn't my best shot. I still did really well. Okay. And then Donald Trump actually takes over. Like, the actual Donald Trump takes over. He, he sends that first tweet at 8.03, the second one at 8.14. And then you'll see the duration between tweets starts to shrink. And as the duration between tweets starts to shrink so too does his, his sanity because he immediately gets angry, okay? Here are his next three tweets, 829, 834, 839, right? All within 10 minutes. Quote, the media has not covered my long shot great finish in Iowa fairly. Brought in record voters, got second highest vote total in history. I will be talking about my wonderful experience in Iowa and the simultaneous unfair treatment by the media later in New Hampshire, big crowd. I don't believe I have been given any credit by the voters for self-funding my campaign, the only one. I will keep doing, but not worth it. Right, so he goes from, we're moving on to New Hampshire, to, I'm not even sure that it's worth it for me to be doing this honorable thing of self-funding my own campaign. I'm not even sure. Frankly, frankly, I don't know if it's worth it. Frankly, frankly. So, I mean, this is, this is the problem. So, Trump may still win New Hampshire. He could also fall apart. If he did, it would be historic. I mean, if he, if he actually fell apart, it would be a historic breakdown. For, for Donald Trump. So let's talk about the various paths to victory here in, in for, for these various candidates. So there, there are a few different paths to victory for these various candidates. The easiest path to victory is probably the path to victory for Marco Rubio. This is assuming that Trump falls apart. So there's we really have to discuss two separate scenarios. One is Trump falls apart. One is Trump does not fall apart. Okay, so to understand how this works, you first have to determine how many delegates come from where. So in order to win the, the nomination, you need 1,237 delegates. That's how many delegates it takes out of something like 2,000 delegates. So you need to win a slight majority out of the 2,100 or so delegates. A large percentage of those delegates are located in blue states, and blue states tend to allocate their delegates not proportionally, but in terms of winner-take-all. So that's a benefit for Rubio. So for example, Florida allocates 99 delegates, and all of them go to whoever wins. Iowa is a proportional representation state, so Cruz wins. He gets eight delegates. Trump gets seven delegates. Rubio gets seven delegates. So you see how this disadvantages Rubio. The states that, I mean, disadvantages Cruz. The states that Cruz wins are going to be more like Iowa. The states that Rubio wins are going to be more like Florida. So here is the path. Let's start with the path for Cruz. There are about 
1,000 delegates, 1,037 delegates. They come from heavy red states that should favor Cruz. These are all the southern states, some states in the Midwest. Only 115 of those delegates are apportioned based on a winner-take-all system. 531 of those delegates come from district-by-district apportioned systems. So it's kind of sort of winner-take-all, but not really. Uh, It means that you're going to get more than you would in a basic proportional representation system. If you win a lot of districts and you win all the, let's say you win all the districts, 51-49, you win 100% of the votes, right? Sort of like congressional seats. Um, But if you win 51% of, uh, if you win, if you, if you win half of the districts and you win 70% of the vote, you still only get half of the votes. 309 of the delegates in, in these red states come from proportional representation. If Cruz gets really, really lucky, if he does really, really well, he walks away with about 800 delegates. That's if he just wipes out Marco Rubio. So now he's at 800. Remember, he still needs another 437 delegates. In the purple states, there are about 162 delegates from winner-take-all systems and 116 from proportional representation states and and about 46 come from district-by-district selections. So here are the purple states. I'm going to read them in order, okay? Iowa, Nevada, Florida, New Hampshire, Ohio, North Carolina, and Virginia. As you can see, these are states that don't necessarily favor Ted Cruz. Rubio will be very competitive in Florida, Nevada, New Hampshire, and Ohio. And Florida, by the way. He'll, he'll, I mean, obviously, he'll win Florida, probably, because he is the senator from Florida. You would assume that he would do well in Florida. So if Cruz does really well here, really well here, he, he wins a minority of these votes. He wins maybe 100 of the delegates. So now he's up to 900. And that brings us to the blue states. And this is where Cruz really is at a disadvantage. You're talking New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, California. This is where Marco Rubio theoretically should clean up. This is assuming that Trump falls out. And it's just a Cruz versus Rubio race. Cruz would have to win about 200 of those votes. That's a rough haul. I mean, most of there are about 778 delegates, but Rubio is likely to sweep these and it's winner take all. So Rubio has a slightly easier path. He just has to pick off a few states here and there. Cruz has a narrower path. He basically has to sweep the table in all of these proportional representation states. He has to rack up big victories in, all, in a lot of these red states. And then he has to peel off a couple of states like California and Michigan, for example, in order to win the nomination. Rubio, it's an easier, it's an easier shot. You, know, you see Rubio winning a lot of these purple states and all of the blue states. And if Rubio wins a few red states, if Rubio pulls out of Tennessee, for example, a state that, that is red but could theoretically go to Rubio or Cruz, then you see Rubio winning away, walking away with the nomination. So in a Cruz versus Rubio head-to-head, advantage Rubio. However, Donald Trump is still in the race. If Donald Trump is still in the race, then things get kind of interesting. Because the truth is that Trump is more competitive with Rubio than he is with Cruz in a lot of these states. If you look at how this breaks down, look at Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Let's say Donald Trump wins in New Hampshire. Let's say he wins by 10, not 20. Let's say he wins by 10 in New Hampshire. And then we go down to South Carolina where he has a lead. Now it becomes a a Trump versus Cruz race. Anybody could win there. And then we head into a bunch of primaries in the South. Trump probably wins a lot of the states in the North. Rubio has become sort of an afterthought in some of these places. He and Trump are battling out up North. Cruz and Trump are battling it out down South. And then we get to the blue states at the end. And now Cruz is wiped out and it's Trump versus Rubio at the end. The problem is that if they're each winning states, if there are three candidates, the system is not made for three candidates, right? This, you have to win a majority of the delegates. There's a good shot this goes to the convention if this, if this is the case. There's a decent shot that if Trump actually wins New Hampshire and wins South Carolina, for example, that this thing goes all the way down to the convention because Cruz is not getting out. Rubio is not getting out. 
And Trump will get out, but only if he gets beat. And he needs to be beaten in a couple separate states. So we'll have to see. The real question now is how glass is Donald Trump's jaw? It's the question we asked yesterday. After the God bleeds, the question is, when the God bleeds, is he cut or is he going to bleed out into the gutter? And we really don't know the answer to that particular, to that particular question as of yet. So odds on favorite, if I had to put money on it, I say that Rubio wins the nomination. Right now, because Trump is still in it, Ted Cruz is the favorite. This could go any which way, and I'm not going to pretend that I have any better insight than what the possibilities are. You know, the, the field of prediction is, is not quite what people crack it up to be. It's not Dick Morris getting on TV and just saying the wildest crap that comes into his head and being wrong. My job, if I'm going to predict for you, is to give you the range of possibilities and the likelihood of each possibility. The range of possibilities, Rubio, Trump, Cruz, all three possibilities exist. If I were to handicap it, I would probably say that Rubio has the easiest shots in the nomination. I would say that Rubio has about, I would say, a, a, maybe a 40% shot at winning the nomination. I would say that Cruz has about a, a 35% shot at winning the nomination. I would say that Trump has about a 25% shot at winning the nomination. At this point, if, if Trump falls apart, things change radically. So, the, And there's a case to be made that Rubio is even stronger than that. But for the moment, Trump has not fallen apart. So just looking at a snapshot of now, of today... Ted Cruz is the favorite, and that's a big win for Cruz, because if Cruz had lost last night, he'd be toast. If Cruz had lost in Iowa, it would be over for Ted Cruz, even though he still has the most money, because Trump would have won. And if Trump ran, if Trump won there, he would have won in New Hampshire, he would have won in South Carolina, and this thing could have turned into a domino set really, really quickly. Okay, moving on to the other side of the aisle, there's a lot of, al- there, there's a lot of allegations of voter fraud in Iowa. And the Democrats and voter fraud go together like peanut butter and jelly, uh, the more dead people vote for the Democrats every year than are even running for their presidential nomination. There are two dead people running for their nomination right now. So this is a video, what we're about to show you, of what people are saying is voter fraud in Iowa. This is at at one of the precincts in Iowa. It's at a high school. You're going to see mass confusion break out. A bunch of people are going to start asking for a recount, and they're going to be refused. Here we go. There were three people that left, so we do know that three people left. We heard them so why, why wouldn't they recount? We're going from section to section. Is anyone like, counting people that have joined? If you want to raise a motion to the body to be heard, I, I just want to be accurate. Yes. I know. They said they found that there are three people that left. So if you, wanna, they, if if you want to challenge those results and vote, do another count. The vote, so you guys know what the vote was. But the numbers so do add up. The numbers do add up, too. And they counted 224. Our total, the first round was 459. Right so on the, the money. Three, right on the money. So three, if three people walked out, we're still right on the money. But here's the thing. With if, our if count at 232 only, and 226. But if they only... Just, just a second. You'll have an opportunity. I will I will announce uh, the total, and then you can challenge it. Yeah, we, 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 we just want to like, if they only count the people who joined their group, they're not getting a full count of the people who potentially left. People could have left. People could have left. And so we're saying they need to actually count every individual body, not just... Every individual body. I'm telling you how that... If you want to challenge it, then challenge it. You have to wait until I announce the vote. Both sides, like you guys. All right. Okay, so as you can see, confusion breaking out over on the Democratic side of the aisle. Again, Hillary Clinton magically won six separate coin flips in order to win the Iowa Democratic caucuses. But, I mean, the fact is that it's it's not a win for her. It's a pretty big loss for her. I mean, this is... Well, here's the here's the irony of Hillary Clinton. The universe must despise Hillary Clinton, which would make sense since I despise Hillary Clinton and I contain multitudes. But the fact is 
that you know the universe is conspiring against Hillary Clinton. Think about this fact. In 2008, Hillary Clinton wins a broad majority of the white vote in Democratic primaries. And Barack Obama cleans her with blacks, and he wins the nomination. Right? He won 85% of the black vote in South Carolina, and he won something like 90% of the black vote in Mississippi. And all across the South, he wins tons of black votes, and he defeats Hillary Clinton. Right? If Barack Obama's a white guy, if his name is John Edwards, Hillary's the nominee in 2008. So she figures going into 2016, all right, I'm set now. There's no black dude running for president. You know, I'm, I'm cool. The, the black community is good. Look at the polls. I'm popular in the black community, and I was so popular in the white community in 2008. No one can touch me. I should waltz through this thing. And along comes Bernie Sanders, a crazed old man screaming at the moon. And suddenly she's losing the white vote by huge margins, and she's clinging to the black vote. So now she's Obama. Right? She's clinging to that black vote with everything that she's got in those, in those robotic little hands of hers. And it's, I mean, it's, it's truly an amazing reversal. If Bernie Sanders were to embrace slavery reparations today, I'd like to see him do it because I want to see this drama. And first of all, as I mentioned last week, I have my movie that's still in production called Burn, feel, it was called Burning with Love. And it was, and it was the, the romance between Bernie Sanders and Hillary. And the, the ending has yet to be decided, but we're right on track. Okay, if Bernie Sanders were to embrace slavery reparations, if he were to take the most left-wing position you could possibly take on race and start winning black people, Hillary would be toast. She would be done. You would have to put her on suicide watch. It would be over for her. And she'd be at home crying and cackling and melting as, you know, somebody hit her with a bucket of water. And it would just, it would be so glorious. And I would love to see Bernie Sanders do this. Like, I don't think Bernie Sanders wins a general election. I don't think he beats Cruz. I don't think that he beats Rubio. I don't think he beats Trump. But if Bernie Sanders were to start taking the black vote away from her, she is toast. She is donezo because he's about to clean her in New Hampshire. He's up, what was the last poll, 30 points in New Hampshire? He's going to destroy her in New Hampshire. And especially after this, because the Bernie Sanders supporters are pissed off about Iowa. P.O.'d. And they should be. They feel like it was stolen. Bernie Sanders last night, he said, yeah, you know what? Hell, I might contest this result. I don't have to stick with this result. Here's Bernie Sanders. Is capable of running and winning in any state in this country. We look forward to doing well here in New Hampshire. Uh, and after that, we're off to Nevada and then South Carolina, where I think we're going to surprise a whole lot of people, just as we did in Iowa. And do you anticipate contesting this vote count at all? Honestly, we just got off the plane, and I, we don't know enough of to say anything about it. Thank okay? you very much, sir. So he might. He might. So at this. Here is Bernie Sanders in his, in his victory speech. They both gave victory speeches last night. You'll see the tenor. Bernie's, Bernie is pretty enthused. He's also a little nervous, you can tell. Hillary looks like she wants to murder virgins and suck their blood to keep herself alive. I mean, Hillary Clinton is, she is so upset and so angry and so wild. It's, it's pretty amazing. So here is, here is Bernie Sanders in his, in his victory speech saying that, He's going to tax everybody to pay for his free crap. I've been all over this beautiful state of Iowa. We have spoken to some 70,000 people at meeting after meeting. I hear people standing up and they say, Bernie, I went to college. I graduated college. Now I have 60, 80, 90,000 dollars in debt. I thought he was going to go age. That is crazy. That is crazy. People should not be punished financially because they want to get a decent education. 
is why I believe that in the year 2016, public colleges and universities should be tuition-free. Free crap for everybody! Woo! Yeah! Then my critics say, well, Bernie, that's a great idea. It's all this free stuff. How are you going to pay for it? I will tell you how we're going to pay for it. We are going to impose a tax on Wall Street speculation. We're going to kill the rich people. Yeah. Hey, so Bernie was real enthused last night. He talked about the economy in this speech as well. And he's an out-and-out socialist, right? I mean, this is this guy, he's a commie. He's a commie. All socialists are, are commies who know how to go slow, right? All, all socialists are just commies with foreplay. So here's Bernie Sanders, same same topic, and, and he's going off about the economy. And it's just, you can see he's, he's enthused. He's excited. And why shouldn't he be? He never thought he was going to be in this position. I mean, Bernie Sanders, he must be thinking that he's going to wake up back in the insane asylum at any point here. Right? It was all a dream, and he's still strapped up in a, in a padded room somewhere. <laughs> but here he is, winning Iowa, and he's going to kill her in New Hampshire. More Bernie Sanders. Let's do this thing. We do not represent the interests of the billionaire class, Wall Street, or corporate America. We don't want their money. We will. <coughs> and I am very proud to tell you that we are the only candidate on the Democratic side without a super PAC. And the reason that we have done so well here in Iowa, the reason I believe we're going to do so well in New Hampshire and in the other states that follow, the reason is the American people are saying no to a rigged economy. Okay, all of this, by the way, we can pause it here. All of this is a tacit rebuke to Hillary Clinton. Here's the point. Bernie Sanders basically just beat Hillary in Iowa. He's about to kill her in New Hampshire. He's done all of this without even opening up his guns on her. Okay, for the last several months, he's been doing his whole, no one cares about your damn emails. Two days before the caucuses, he said it's a very serious issue. So he hasn't even opened up the guns on her yet. And he hasn't played the slavery reparations card. And the minute he plays the race card, she's toast. I mean, she's she's toast well done. I mean, she's in serious trouble if Bernie Sanders makes the right move here, if he actually wants to be president. Okay, here is Hillary Clinton. And what you're about to see cannot be unseen. Uh, Hillary Clinton, I mean, this is gates of hell open, maw of Satan wide. And here comes Hillary. I mean, look, first of all, look at this still of her. Goodness gracious. I mean, can you imagine that coming at you at three in the morning? But here, here's Hillary Clinton. Threat alert level has been raised from orange to red. And, and Hillary Clinton looks like she wants to leap into the audience and murder the first baby that she can find. By the way, the, pay attention in this video to two things. One, Bill Clinton looks like just the smiling ghoul of death behind her. I mean, he really does not look good. And then behind him, you're about to see the real star of the show. There's a frat boy or something who's got Hillary stickers on his face. And he is much more amusing than the former first lady who, I mean, look at that death glare. Holy crap. People say that, that Michelle Bachman and Sarah Palin had the crazy eyes. Hillary Clinton looks like, you ever do the Indiana Jones ride and they always said, don't stare into the eye of Ra? Like, don't stare into the eye of Ra? And it's... Uh, 
Yeah, this is the Eye of Rod. Don't stare into Hillary Clinton's eyes. You may not make it out. Here we go. I know we can create more good-paying jobs oh. and comes for hardworking Americans again. <laughs> I know that we can finish the job of universal health care coverage for every single man, woman, and child. I know... Oh. I know we can combat climate change and be the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. Why is grandma yelling at me? I know we can make our education system work for every one of our children, especially those who come with disadvantages. And I'll beat you if you don't I know believe we can it. make college affordable and get student debt off the backs of young people. I haven't been this pissed since I threw a lamp at Bill. We can protect our rights, women's rights, gay rights, voting rights, rights, workers' rights. <laughs> She's so angry. And look I at okay, too. you can pause can it there and look up. at Bill just nodding behind her. I mean, Bill looks like he's somewhere else. I mean, Bill's like watching pornography in his mind. <laughs> Bill's like, uh, Bill's just sitting there going. Well, I'm watching lady on lady action back here in my mind, <laughs> but it's just, I mean, she is so enraged. She is so frustrated. And she's like, I have to show the passion because otherwise I can't look dispirited. I have to show the passion. And that red light there means warning gang. So there's Hillary Clinton. Just she's mad and she has a reason to be mad because God is going to reject her again. <laughs> it's, it's really pathetic. Uh, she says that she is excited, by the way, next clip. She says she's excited to uh, debate with Bernie Sanders. Uh, and uh, there's nothing that Hillary Clinton is less excited to do than debate with Bernie Sanders unless it is to have sex with her husband. Here is Hillary Clinton. I congratulate. Oh, God, those eyes. I congratulate my esteemed friends and opponents. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish Governor O'Malley the very best. He's a great public servant who has served. He's a great public Maryland servant. Our country. She's so mad. <laughs> And I am excited about really getting into the debate with Senator Sanders about the best way forward to fight for us and America. I'm so excited! In the last few weeks, in the last few weeks, we finally began to have what I think is one of the most important substantive conversations. <laughs> There's a guy eating the stickers in the background. That the Democratic Party could have. <laughs> and I am, I am thrilled. And all of the people who are playing a part in yeah. that. Okay, Hillary Clinton transformed that guy into a newt. I so behind her, there's a guy who's actually like, trying to eat the stickers off his own face. <coughs> so we, all we've got here is an arm an arm wrestling scene at the old age home between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Honestly, I feel pretty good about Cruz versus Rubio. If what we got on the other side is a screaming old wench and Bernie Sanders. I mean, this is just like... Uh, or I could say a screaming old wench and Hillary Clinton. I mean, it applies to both of them. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Okay, so Hillary, by the way, says that she... she uh, I can't stop playing this because it's strangely addictive watching Hillary Clinton lose her mind in front of a mass audience. And the media treated this like this is a fine speech. The media treated this like there's nothing wrong here. Hillary Clinton looks like she is going to nuke the Soviets. Okay, that's what Hillary Clinton looks like here. I haven't seen a, a public speaker this mad since Khrushchev. Hillary Clinton, here's Hillary Clinton saying that she's breathing a big sigh of relief. Here we go. We have to be united against 
a Republican vision and candidates who would drive us apart and divide us. That is not who we are, my friends. I followed their campaign very closely. I understand what they're appealing to, and I intend to stand against it. I will not. She's going to rev it up in one second. I will not let their divisiveness, their efforts to rip away the progress that we've made, be successful, because we can't afford that. So as I stand here tonight, breathing a big sigh of relief, thank you, Iowa. How much Botox did she have before this? I want you to know, I will keep doing what I have done my entire life. Lying. I will keep standing up for you. I will keep fighting for you. I will always work to achieve the America that I believe in, where the promise of that dream that we hold out to our children and our grandchildren Bill, never fades. Okay, okay but Bill is, uh, then she gets pissed off again. Bill, Bill is literally sitting there drooling as he watches Lady on Lady action in his mind. <laughs> There's, that's what he's doing in the background here. He's got his mouth kind of, for people who can't see this, this is why you need to subscribe so you can see this tape when I'm mocking it. Bill is, is there with his mouth like hanging half open, gazing off into the distance. His eyes are completely glazed over. It's a bizarre look. It's a real bizarre look. I mean, there he is. Look at, oh boy. Uh, he's like, uh, 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 am I supposed to clap now? I'm looking around. Other people are clapping. Let's do this thing. So uh, strong, strong move by, by Hillary Clinton. All right. So the real star of the show, by the way, and, and you're about to see real conflict break out between Sanders supporters and Hillary supporters. When Hillary was speaking last night, Sanders supporters were gathered around the state. Here's what Sanders supporters were doing during Hillary's speech. Listen closely. Okay, so if you can't hear, folks, what they're saying in the background is they're chanting liar. Hillary is a liar. Yeah, things are about to get interesting between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. The real star of the show, though, we really need to put some spotlight on the real star of the show at Hillary Clinton's rallies is this, this guy behind Hillary Clinton who is um, <laughs> uh, who was who is really enjoying himself in a unique way, uh, and uh, and here here it is, courtesy of WHO. <laughs> Check out the dude with the stickers on his face because he had him. I mean, honestly, the only person who was moving his mouth this much during this during this speech was was Bill Clinton again thinking about that porn. So here's the dude behind Bill Clinton, and uh, and yeah, it got wild. Here we go. In the last few weeks, we finally began to have what I think is one of the most important <laughs> substantive conversations <laughs> that the Democratic Party could have. And I am, I am thrilled. And we have to be united. <laughs> when it is all said and done, we have to be united against... A Republican vision and candidates who would drive us apart and divide us. That is not who we are, my friends. I followed their campaign very closely. I understand what they're appealing to, and I he's intend to stand against This guy, it. folks, he's crossing his eyes, and he's, like, trying to chew stickers off his face. He's got to be thinking to himself, I came to a Hillary campaign because I was going to pretend to be a feminist and try and get laid. 
And that just all went wildly wrong when I realized everyone here was above the age of 70. <laughs> He's standing behind them, just like making faces, crossing his eyes. He's right behind Hillary Clinton. So I said earlier that Obama used the backdrop of human faces. Hillary did too. The problem is she picked the wrong human faces. So things went wildly wrong for Hillary Clinton. Okay, time for a little bit of stuff that I like and then a couple of things that I hate. So things that I like. First of all, I, I always like to give you an update on what I'm reading. So finishing up that Nate Silver book I was talking about, good book. Uh, there's another book that I'm reading now by a guy named Jonathan Gottschall, who's a professor uh, somewhere in the East, and it's called Professor in the Cage. And it's it's all about basically why it is that men love watching the fights, like why men like watching boxing. And I found myself interested in this book because my entire life I thought I, I hate boxing. I don't like contact sports. Like it's not not just that I wouldn't engage in it. I find it brutal and I'm a civilized person. And then as I got older, I realized that I sort of like watching the fights like everybody else. And so I started thinking about why is it that human beings are built this way? And he makes a really compelling case that human beings, particularly men, are built this way. And all of this nonsense you hear about there are no brain differences between men and women. Okay, you really have to be an idiot to believe that there are no differences between men and women. Just but look at their behavior, okay? There's anybody who, the people who act as though the new scientific brain scans are exact enough to to suggest that all differences between men and women are culturally created. These are people who have never met a man or a woman. And these differences exist across cultures. It's a, it's a pretty good book. I'm about halfway through it. I'll give you the update uh, when I finish. Okay, another thing that I like. John Cleese, the, the Monty Python comedian. You've also seen him in Rat Race, which is, by the way, a very, very funny movie. If you've never seen Rat Race, you should check it out. You will be laughing. It's a takeoff and it's a mad, 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 mad world. Uh, here is John Cleese. He's talking about the, uh, the political correctness that is destroying all of us. And hey, someone from Hollywood saying the right thing. Here we go. I'm offended every day. For example, the British newspapers every day offend me with their laziness, their nastiness, and their inaccuracy. <clears throat> but I'm not going to expect someone to stop that happening. I should just simply speak out about it. You know, and sometimes when people are offended, they want somebody to just come in and say, right, stop that to whoever is offending them. And of course, as a former... Um, Chairman of the BBC once said, there are some people one would wish to offend. And I think there's truth in that too. Okay. So the idea that That's you have... Good, good on John Cleese. It's good that there are some people in Hollywood who, aren't com who don't have their heads completely up their ass. Now, things I hate. People in Hollywood with their head completely up their ass. So here is... A, there are a bunch of ladies who came out and uh, endorsed Hillary Clinton before the caucuses yesterday. And uh, they include Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham today says she's going off Twitter again. She she says that she's done with Twitter again, <laughs> which is which is pretty incredible. Um, she says that she's sick of being targeted by mean people. That's me, gang. Um, and uh, <laughs> and the reason I'm mean to Lena Dunham is because she sexually abused her sister, bragged about it, uh, accused a guy falsely of rape, bragged about it, and now endorses Hillary Clinton, who has covered up for a rapist and brags about it. So Jamie Lee Curtis and a bunch of these other idiot women in Hollywood have now endorsed Hillary Clinton. Jamie Lee Curtis, I mean, if you one look at this face, why wouldn't you trust her to pick your presidential candidate? Here is Jamie Lee Curtis and, and crowd. I'll read off the names for people who can't see. Here we go. I want my president of the United States to make decisions on my behalf based on her experience, her command, her intelligence, and from her big, warm, Embracing feminine heart. Whoa. I stand with her. Amber Tamblin. I'm with her. 
Rosie O'Donnell, Amy yes. Poehler, Jemima Kirk, I'm with Lena Manatee Dunham, Katy Perry, all of our needs and mine as a woman. I'm with Hillary because she is fighting for immigration. Okay, and a bunch of people you've never heard of coming after that. Together. Okay. So basically, we could sum all of this up in three syllables. Vagina! Woo! I mean, that her big, warm, feminine heart, Katy Perry. I'm embracing her because she's a woman and she understands the needs of other women. Right. I remember when you backed Sarah Palin because of that. Don't we all remember that? Yeah, no. I don't remember that either because that's stupid, right? But this is the, this is the routine. Honestly, women who are dumb enough to fall for this, I don't support men because they have penises, okay? Because that's idiotic. President Obama is terrible in every way. I share a gender with him. That may be all I share with him, okay? The idea that, that all of these women are endorsing Hillary Clinton, you hear any policy prescriptions here for why they like Hillary? Anything they think she does that's really great? And the real thing is they support Hillary, number one, because she's a woman, and two, because she's pro-abortion. That's it. That's the whole thing, right? She's pro-abortion, and she wants to fund Planned Parenthood and let them have sex without consequences, or, or more importantly, have us pay for their sex without consequences. And two, she's a woman. Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm not particularly enamored of Hollywood starlets who got famous, presumably many of these women, particularly Lena Dunham. She got famous for taking off her clothes in an unusual way because she's ugly. But even Jamie Lee Curtis was a starlet at one point. She got famous for being pretty. Right? So the, but all of these women who are now standing up for feminism by saying we can only elect a woman, it really is distasteful. Um, but I guess this is the, the Hollywood routine. And it's okay if women do this. If men do it, it's sexism, by the way. If men say, I'll never vote for a woman like Hillary, because I think that really only men understand what it is that men need, that's sexism. But if Jamie Lee Curtis says, we need someone with a big, warm, feminine heart, which, by the way, is Bill Clinton's pickup line, then all of a sudden, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. And finally, we end with this. Okay, so what's, what's amazing, one of the things that's amazing about the, the Republican caucuses is that last night, about 60% of all the vote went to people who are not white. 9%, I think it was almost 10% went to Ben Carson. 27% went to Ted Cruz. 23% went to, went to Marco Rubio. Right? Rubio and Cruz are both Hispanic, and Carson is black. Wouldn't you think it would be historic, the first Hispanic candidate ever to win the Iowa caucuses? Wouldn't that be kind of amazing, right? Can you imagine? I mean, Hillary, we get, she's the first woman, presumably, ever to, to win the, the Iowa caucuses. We're going to get that narrative. And, but first Hispanic, no, he's not real Hispanic because he's, he's a Republican, obviously. So that's the routine that we're going to get now. Chris Matthews, however, he wanted to make sure that everybody knows that people are racist in Iowa. So here is Chris Matthews. He's about to, I mean, Chris Matthews, he's about to go on the, the minority hunt. We got to hunt for some black people. Let's do this thing. Iowa, boom, go. They know the, the party committees could easily nationalize the primaries next time around. They want to stay first. I just saw a minority voter there. I mean, it is largely a white crowd, to be blunt. It's, about. it's a very white state, but this is a, a, an election. <laughs> so they're just having a completely separate conversation. And then there's, there he is, like, where's Waldo? I found him. There's Black Waldo. I found Black Waldo. Let's all, let's all get excited. I found, you know, I found a black guy. Ah, ah. <laughs> What in the world? Like, do you think people on the left might see things in terms of race a little too much? Just a little too much? Hey, okay, Chris, 4% of Iowa is black. Four. <laughs> it really is one of the whitest states in America. They're, oh, my God, look at these white people. I can't stand. Oh, look, a black guy. Oh, I can sleep easy at night. I've seen a black guy today. Oh, well, that makes my life so much better. Oh, if I had been a white guy, God, I would have kept myself up counting black guys in my head. Is it just? Amazing how, how the left how the left thinks. So
in all in all, it was a good day in American politics. We haven't been able to say that for a while. And we'll see as the polls come out how Donald Trump, does he fade? Does he maintain? And will Hillary Clinton at any point throw herself full-fledged into the ocean because Bernie Sanders endorses slavery reparations? These burning questions will remain with you overnight. And we will be back tomorrow. I am Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 